In the beginning of the history of experimental observation or any other kind of observation on scientific things, it's intuition. It's intuition. Which is really based on just experience with everyday objects that suggest reasonable explanations for things. Welcome to Two Shrinks Pod. I'm Hunter Mulcair. And I'm Amy Donaldson. And this is a podcast all about psychology. We're both psychologists, Amy working with children and myself working with adults. And we get together from time to time to talk through topics that of interest to us clinically, or we talk about day-to-day topics that apply to everyone. And that is what we're aiming to do. So let me frame this episode and pose some questions. Are you someone that struggles with getting enough stuff done? You worry about time wasted and repeatedly think, oh, if I could just get my routine right, I'd get on top of things. Or have you ever wondered how to get into one of those elusive states of flow where everything just moves seamlessly and you finish the day thinking, how did I get so much stuff done? Or do you wonder sometimes how you could be more creative? You might be someone that delays reading, doing, listening to something important because you don't have the time or you don't have the time to finish it. You might have even been stressed about when to listen to this episode when it popped up on your feed. If so, this is the episode for you. All of these issues are related to guilt, more specifically productivity guilt. Hunter and I are no strangers to this clinically, but also personally. We look at our podcast episodes and think, why haven't we done more? What about this topic or that topic? With this in mind, we decided to invite Madeline Dorr onto the show so we can dig into this topic more and look at the reasons why, and more importantly, what to do about tackling productivity guilt. Madeline is a Melbourne-based freelance journalist, interviewer and creator of the project Everyday Routines. For the past five years, Madeline's work has focused on how people spend their days, the rituals, routine and chaos that make up everyday lives. She's written a fabulous book, I Didn't Do the Thing Today, on letting go of productivity guilt, and we're delighted to welcome Madeline to the show. Thanks so much, Amy and Hunter. It's a joy to be chatting all things productivity guilt with you. <laughs> so so we've picked out a number of different topics that we as clinicians would think would be useful for people who, uh, I guess, struggle with these issues. And so we thought we'd get you to elaborate on them. It's Madeline's not going to be a quiz, hopefully just a conversation, <laughs> hopefully that's okay. <laughs> But let's frame the problem as the academics that Amy and I are. What's productivity guilt? Productivity guilt. I think there's many guises, as you touched on in your introduction, there's the delay that can happen, this feeling of not doing enough, but it can also be the feeling of doing too much. It can be this feeling of wasting time. It can be quite a rigid view of how the day should unfold. So this sense that prescribing tasks to certain hours, and then when that hour arrives, something, an interruption or a distraction, or maybe even just a a feeling or a whim can blow that task over. And then there's that feeling of, oh, well, I'm not doing that thing, so I won't do anything. Mm -hmm. This productivity guilt can can reach the end of the day. and, And these things that are left undone or a to-do list that's not quite finished can be a sign of of a failure and this sense that it hasn't been a successful day just because we didn't do the things that we said we'd do and in that we ignore the many myriad of things that we might have actually done be that connecting with someone or doing a different task or having a epiphany or solving a problem so this productivity guilt can really narrow the day because it ignores 
the many things that we can do or simply it puts an expectation on things unfolding in a certain way rather than having a, a flexibility and openness to the many different ways a day can unfold and inevitably will unfold <laughs> to how we expect. Yeah, definitely. And and I was going to frame the other side of the coin, which is you, you talk about in your book about a state of flow. Can you describe to us what is a state of flow? And, and maybe we can lead into how do we get to it? <laughs> mm, I think it is good to bring up the, the other side of the coin there, Hunter, because I think that even though we might be familiar with the days that we didn't do the thing and how that can really feel deflating, we're also familiar with the days that we do do all the things and some t somehow it feels quite electric when the day does unfold the way that you wanted it to or planned for it to and you can feel like you're firing on all, all cylinders and time does disappear because you're in this state of flow and by that state of flow it really is that sense that, that whatever task is at hand you are flowing and, and you feel like that you can lose track of time or you're able to sustain focus and attention. Maybe interruptions and distractions are kept to a minimum by some miracle. <laughs> and so those days are wonderful when they happen. I think it's just that we, as a society, expect ourselves to be able to replicate that kind of day, day after day, mm. when actually we are inconsistent by nature, just in terms of our energy. And I'm sure you can both speak to this, just even our, our attention spans and, and our feelings and everything ebbs and flows. And so there is going to be where we vary and our days vary. So it's more just that expecting that perfect day, day after day, I think is what can contribute to the sense of guilt when in many cases it's can be outside of our control when those days happen it can just be a stroke of luck sometimes mm, mm. yeah and, and like and i always think about that state of flow is like i'm just doing I'm, I'm a human doing rather than a human being you know like you know this like i'm not engaged in a overwhelming process of what i should do x y and z i'm just sort of feeling and acting and there's something very alluring about that because it's quite peaceful um mm. and you're quite alive, I reckon. Yeah, that's very true. And and perhaps there are ways for us to set ourselves up for that feeling. But I think that it's really about experimenting with that for yourself rather than looking to these hacks and time management techniques and, and then trying to adopt them and then falling short again and then feeling more like a failure mm. because you haven't been able, those things also haven't worked to help get you in that state of flow. So I think it is about experimenting and looking at what ingredients work for you to get you there. That's, yeah, that's really what struck me about reading the book. I opened it expecting that there might be a bit of the stuff that's in most books around productivity or even blogs or Instagram accounts or whatever. It's kind of like, you know, create a routine, set yourself up with you know, color-coded to-do lists, which mm. I'm eternally doing, um, you know, set out, set out a strict plan and stick to it. But actually what this book is about and this approach is about is going with that flow and the creativity and just seeing where where the day takes you i'm wondering when you started this project is that what you expected to find that the productiveness kind of came from something a little more higgledy-piggledy than a straightforward routine 
Uh, well, maybe it was a secret hope, Amy. <laughs> it started out, my project really was, it stemmed from this feeling of comparison, really, and feeling like I was falling short of other people. I felt like I wasn't doing enough or I wasn't doing it right. And so I decided to speak to people that I admired and that I assumed had it all figured out. And <laughs> then I could find the secret to being more productive. <laughs> and so that project culminated in interviews for Extraordinary Routines and then later my podcast, Routines and Ruts. And while I started out looking for the secret, what I soon found is that these very people that I was looking to for the answers would often tell me, you know, I'm asking them about what their routine looks like, but they would sort of whisper, but I don't really have a routine and things change each day. Mm. Um, or they would say, you know, I don't think I've got it figured out either. Or I compare myself and I procrastinate and I get distracted. And so it was really humbling and comforting to know that these people that I put on a pedestal more or less were also encountering these very stumbles and so it quickly turned my attention and I saw that you know you can't expect to create the same recipe when you've got different ingredients and it's really about finding what works for you and often that can look counterintuitive and really it's about having that creativity and flexibility and those people that were prolific were because they were able to find their rhythm with things and mm. limit things like comparison and perfectionism and those sort of stumbles that we encounter. It really sort of changed my focus to being less about finding a secret and actually more about why are we having this, why, why are we encountering this productivity guild and what's behind that and how are we being set up to fail there? Because you're so right, Amy, there's all this advice out there, like set a plan and routine and stick to it. Mm. It sounds so simple. But then the stick to it part yeah. <laughs> doesn't seem to like, but how? So I felt like I just kept stumbling up against that. And so this, this has been incredibly freeing to just sort of, instead of trying to constantly improve and change myself, it's actually been funnily enough, like stopping this idea of changing myself has allowed me to feel more at ease with how the day unfolds. Mm. Yeah. I mean, clinically as psychologists, particularly in the work that I do, I'm often talking to people about take the pressure off yourself, those high standards, that criticalness. And in doing so, that then be freeing for somebody. And then by being freeing, they actually often can be a bit more confident or can trial something. And so the your writing and, and some of the things that you talk about really, I guess, captured that for me in, in a way that was much more accessible than the typical psychology book, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I wondered, like, I often wonder whether there's a small routine that's helpful. Like, So, I mean, I guess really my question is about routines versus overcommitting to a routine. And I, when I was completing my doctorate, I ended up in this sort of loose routine of, doing swimming in the morning and then I'd walk up to the university and have a coffee and, a, and a, some kind of scone. And then the rest of the day was fairly unstructured. And that ended up helping me quite a lot. And I, and I guess I was curious to get you to tell me, like, what do you think determines when a routine switches from helpful to problematic? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question because I think that routine can be really grounding and it can help sort of calm a sense of overwhelm and anxiety and all of those things. And and so I think that you've pointed at it yourself there, Hunter, perfectly in terms of a loose routine. So I think that so much of when a routine can be problematic or unhelpful is when it is quite rigid and aspirational in many senses. You know, it's sort of 
um, and, and born out of comparison, like, oh, well, I better get up at 5 a.m. because that's what this successful business person does who has a multi-million dollar enterprise. And then thinking, oh, well, do I really want that anyway? So why are we copying and pasting other people's days into ours when our days look quite different? And so it's really assessing the aspirational sense of it. And, and I was certainly really fond of drafting routines for myself over and over again, where it really would be scheduling every portion of the day. And there would be this really rigid order of things and really ambitiously early set alarm. <laughs> and then that would go off and I would press the snooze alarm. And it meant that the rest of the routine would tumble over because, mm. you know, I've missed that first step. And then instead of sort of picking that back up again and thinking, well, you know, I can turn my attention to something and I can still pick this back up. I would just call the day a waste or a write-off and, you know, then repeat the cycle and start again tomorrow when things were perfect. So there's a lot of perfectionism, I think, that might hint at when a routine can become unhelpful. And then maybe looking at what makes it helpful is what you pointed to in terms of having this, this loose routine and, again, seeing sort of what your day needs for that sense of structure rather than sort of a strict routine and I guess with with the caveat of saying that it is about finding what works for you some things that really changed for me is is from a couple of interviews where people would have these approaches where perhaps they would bookend the day they would just have sort of something to start the day that brought a sense of delight or put them in a certain mood which then had a nice flow on effect or they might sort of have a, an evening wind down where you know it was really important for them to put their phone out of the bedroom or something and that would have kind of a domino effect for the rest of the evening in terms of they could sort of read a book which is building in a nice habit but also then fall asleep more naturally and then wake up earlier as a result and then mm. fit in exercise like finding that one thing that helps can be really important but one that was really helpful for me was this idea of a checkbox routine. So rather than scheduling every hour of the day and then feeling disappointed or deflated when things unfolded differently, just having sort of the things that help you in your day, be it exercise, be it reading, being a certain work task and the days where you do manage to check those off and you can be flexible with when you check them off, maybe you can deem that a good day, but it doesn't have to be a failure if you didn't check off everything. So it's mm. really holding the routine lightly, I think, is what mm. it comes back mm. to or loosely. Yeah. One of the things that I ended up doing with exercise, I'd either do it at the start of the day or the end of the day. And I remember saying to people, like, all I had to do was sit at my desk till 5 p.m. And then I could go for a run. And that was a successful day. Like that was my my pass mark. Like it wasn't how many words I wrote. It was, did I sit at my desk for this time? And then I could go for a run and... I think by showing up, then eventually, you know, the work happened, that kind of thing. Mm, I love that, the pass mark. Yeah. 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 The, I, w I was going to say, I was going to ask you, you love quotes in this book and I, I like, and gave such a richness to what you were writing about. But one of the things I sort of thought about was like, so many people have the same problem. Uh, like, are we all completely stuffed? Why are we like this? What's your thought on that? <laughs> yeah, I actually find so much comfort in, in, you know, if we're all stuffed, because I think that that's the thing is that 
there's so there's this pressure to be more productive and yet we all feel like we're well not all I'm sure there's some people out there who feel like they're completely nailing it day after day but I'm yet to meet them um and maybe they have you know they're propped up by a lot of support potentially but you know we we feel like we're falling short and we're not productive enough and so then we look for these solutions to make us more productive and then they don't work either and so then we sort of feel like we're the problem and we just kind of we're imperfect and, and and failing and we you know why can't we just do the thing you know it's it's this sense of you know sometimes that that small thing it 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 can be just sort of a piece of life admin that we've been that's been lingering on our to-do list for months or it could be the you know the big important thing that we want to do in our lives like the big maybe ambitious project like write a novel or become a musician or whatever it might be and it's sort of why can't we just do this thing and the comfort in it is that well isn't it interesting that we this does seem like a universal challenge to seize the day and to do the things that we want to do in this life and so maybe it's just part of the human condition that we always sort of aspire for more and we might keep falling short but maybe that's part of what keeps us going and so mm. this sort of sense of if, if we all just did the thing then it wouldn't be a problem and so the fact that it is is sort of a testament to this idea that we there's a beauty in continuing to try and mm. to keep learning and to kind of keep stumbling and maybe the fact that we have these tensions and these problems and these imperfections is the very thing that makes us human and mm. so right why are we trying to render ourselves perfect and perfectly complete to-do lists when we just never will like mm. it's an expectation that just won't get there and i think that you know it's it's i guess the, as you would know as as psychologists it's like that's what we do with the problem is we put it to use we don't solve it yeah yeah, um, yeah I, I quite liked your framing of those limitations as that, you know, we need limitations, we need constraints to be able to spur on creativity and to, to help us have something to sort of butt up against. I, as you were talking about that inherent human aspect of wanting to push through and find the, the perfect, what came into my head was that I was speaking to someone close to me the other day about this interview and about the book and I said to her you know I really I think this book is exactly the thing that you should you should read and I was describing it to her and describing about you know letting go of some of that perfectionism and that you know need to keep on pushing pushing through and you know I said you know sometimes you can just go go with the flow and it's it's actually okay and she kind of stopped me and she's like Amy but it's not like I have to get the thing done I have to do all of the things (laughs) and I think as much as I sort of I chuckled at her response but I also went we all have that internal thing of like but no I need to get that done there's kind of an urgency but if we just get that done and just get to school on time then we can get to work on time and then my day will be good (laughs) it'll all be fine (laughs) yes well I can relate I still feel like that you know wrote the book very much as self-therapy to try to deal with that very sense of but it's not okay and so and it's still it's just such a long process to unlearn I guess because it you know maybe it's the human condition but it's also internalized capitalism as well that Mm. we're measured by what we do and our sense of worth comes from what we do and I think that it's a beautiful thing to sort of to want to do it like the things need to be done and you want to do it but it's just recognizing those limitations as you mentioned and also maybe it just won't happen the way you expect it to or Mm. it it won't happen right away or it won't all get done and so it's it's about softening the edges of that rather than giving up doing the thing I think Mm. because for me, it was so much more stifling 
so when I would beat myself up about it, I wouldn't do anything um, rather than if I soften the edges a little bit, at least there's like little step by little step, we actually end up doing the things that way rather than lamenting the fact that we haven't done them all yet. (laughs) Yeah. And I really liked your discussion around attention and like, if you're going to attend to something, really attend to that, like, and really dive into that as a way of helping people get unstuck uh, like how does that help people like what what do you think about that mm. i think it's it's interesting because there's so much around limiting distractions and el- eliminating them you know thinking about social media and scrolling and wasting time that way and then i'm not sure if you've seen the, the social dilemma the documentary mm. but they speak about even the designers of these apps don't know how to eliminate the distracting nature of them. You know, mm. they try all the tricks like leaving the phone in the boot of the car, and then, you know, in the middle of the night running out to get it. So I think like that's, again, if, if we're all sort of, even the designers are struggling with eliminating the distractions, it's may, maybe that's the, maybe that approach isn't working for everyone. So if we can't eliminate them, what can we do instead? And I think it's looking for that antidote is that, okay, well, we're going to be distracted, but maybe it's about being really aware of what we're paying attention to. And so if you are scrolling, then paying attention to the fact that you're engaged in that distraction and then suddenly aren't you paying attention rather mm. than being distracted? And so that's one sort of way of flipping it. And so it's it's about almost taking an inventory of pay attention to what you're paying attention to. And then maybe you catch yourself and direct the attention then rather than trying to eliminate the distraction and I know it's semantics really but it's I think having this idea of attention as the antidote to distraction and we can see that you know say you're brokenhearted even and you're finding yourself obsessing about the heartbreak the best sort of antidote is often distracting yourself with something else so then isn't distraction kind of a a wonderful tool in that mm. sense and then wouldn't we call it attention so i think it's just in how we frame it and so we can set more time for the things we want to pay attention to rather than trying to spend all our time eliminating distractions and not feeling like we ever quite get there yeah like i, I feel like it's go rather than kind of eliminating a negative it's like introducing a positive mm. and like mm. like the analogy often used in therapies i talk about like well you know I, I think I heard this story as a kid, like, you know, there's like the, the, the sun and the wind have a competition to get a, a man to take his coat off and the wind blows and blows and blows and, the, and, the, and the, the man holds his coat tighter and tighter. But then when, and then the sun has a go and the sun just shines and just warms him up. And so he goes, oh, I better take the coat off. And so like, you know, this, this idea of in finding that, finding something that's like intrinsically valuable and motivating can then shift us to being unstuck or something like that Mm. oh that's beautiful i love that (laughs) wind versus sun and just yeah the intrinsic versus extrinsic this is so good to be able to chat to two people who know all the psychology behind it all it's wonderful because i can learn so much i i think you know reading this book even though it's not a, a clinical book what i found was that i kept on applying it to my clients it kept on coming up again and again and it's it struck me that 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 stuck feeling is is universal and it's kind of the core part of what we do in our day-to-day work like we help people get unstuck with traumatic memories or with intrusive thoughts or anxiety about leaving the house or whatever it might be and 
I was curious, I was thinking about, you know, why do we all get so stuck? But then also, what did your interviews tell you about how people become unstuck? Well, it's interesting because I think that it was collecting the experience and, and I suppose it was less about getting exact recipes in the end, but I think looking for this feeling. And so it's almost like this little collage that helped me see that this stuck feeling or what would put to my interviewees as like when what kind of what does a rut look like to mm. you more and more that sort of was a really interesting question to put to people's like so what does it look like when you're stuck and, and what does a rut look like and how do you get out of it was often people would start to speak to how the rut was actually part of their creative process and part of their part of acknowledging that that's an inevitable season that people might encounter mm. and so sort of people would speak to speak about it as season so you know the, the fallow winter and and having that quieter time maybe of retreating or maybe after experiencing a loss or feeling quite stuck or feeling quite creatively uninspired at the time no one really wants to go through it and you you wouldn't sort of wish it upon yourself or other people to have a loss or a difficulty but when I did speak to them about coming out of it it was often looked back upon as the thing that might have completely opened up a new path or was the most enriching experience Mm. um, or the very thing that allowed for a busier season because they allowed for that slower period of restoring and so it was really reframing the rut often as as rest or as necessary and about being patient with that and even curious about it and one artist that I spoke to Spencer Harrison spoke about he started to see the actual cycles of those and how oh it's it's sort of for every every year he'll be like okay this is the rut that I'm about <laughs> to enter. it's like and expect it to be sort of a two-month period or mm. what have you because you start to notice and start to say oh you know this is part of it this is all I guess we, do, we, we are seasonal so I think that that's obviously there can be many many reasons and and many many lengths and timelines and maybe it's not always maybe there's differences to it in terms of it's not always enriching I'm not like sure but when you that that commonality of once that you're through it that it's enriching and maybe the answer to getting through it was often being patient with it or it mm. just kind of clears and there's bit by bit adding small good things to your days once again yeah like the like a an act therapy approach so that's acceptance commitment therapy would talk about that your response to a negative situation will be the thing that actually you know like you trying to change this this situation is if you loosen that effort then often and just allow that situation to sit there then then you uh, can cope with the situation better and often actually the situation can resolve itself which sort mm. of I guess to put that into clinical language mm. if that makes sense I also you know therapists we all love an analogy and I I really did like that analogy about the sponge about having time to absorb and then and then to squeeze out the good stuff I really that has really sat with me over the last couple of weeks of just going yeah okay I think I'm in like an absorption phase would you be able to explain mm. that idea to our listeners yeah that's a favorite of mine too Amy <laughs> and it's it's very much it speaks to this idea that you know we're not always in one particular mode and so we have a lot of judgment against things like procrastination and laziness and even rest we feel guilty about and so it's really about well acknowledging that we have different modes of being and if we see ourselves more like sponges then you know a sponge needs to absorb things and 
take in the inspiration and have that rest and you know it, it might look like you're not doing anything but you're restoring you're refilling and then like a sponge there comes that time where you, if you absorb for too long it becomes inertia and so you need the squeeze of that sponge and that's where you know what you've absorbed gets put into action and there might be the doing and so often if I'm judging myself for not doing the thing or if I'm feeling like I'm procrastinating often actually what's happening behind the scenes is that I'm absorbing Mm. and knowing that the squeeze will come or trusting that will come has been really helpful and it also helps during those moments where it does feel like life is a bit of a squeeze and things (laughs) are too busy and that can be the other end of things and and maybe it's like well I'm squeezing for now and the absorb can come the rest can come and just so just not judging either side because they're both valid and they're both purposeful it, yeah, something I've been using in, in therapy with kids in the past few weeks because I, I work with a lot of kids who have trauma and part of that is is they're very prone to shame. And so often, you know, parents in an effort to get them get them going tend to go firmer with rules and restrictions and stuff like that. And for kids who are stuck and who are in that can't-do-anything headspace it's it then leads them to feel ashamed and the big part of shame is that it immobilizes you it just sticks you in that spot and so I've sort of been introducing them to this idea of maybe actually what you need right now is that rest period it doesn't mean that you're an awful human being or that you're never going to get anything done or that you're useless it's this is this is time to rest you're on you know you're on school holidays you're having a bit of a break before then you can get into the year that you can get into things Mm. um and it's been quite an approachable analogy for kids and families so delightful yeah it's been great these little human sponges (laughs) everyone's going to be embracing the squeeze and the the absorb (laughs) exactly yeah Uh, i was curious to i I loved your discussion about procrastination and sort of just like on the flip side to what we were just talking about like you know in my mind there's procrastination avoidance versus sort of this uninspired rut because mm. like I work with adults and, and and often with mood problems one of the things we are suggesting to people is what we call behavioral activation which is like all right can you go out of the house more often or you know how about you do a pleasure activity and a mastery activity you know which is you know something enjoyable and then mastery is like um something you accomplish something you accomplish I always say vacuuming because i but also, like, I personally find vacuuming very pleasurable. Mm. Um, <laughs> the, it's the, I used to work in a cinema, and Amy loves this. And, and, and there was, a, let me tell you, one of life's greatest pleasures is vacuuming popcorn. It's yeah. <laughs> but I digress, <laughs> right? And, and, and it's such an accomplishment. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's yellow. The carpet's clean afterwards. You can, it's, it's great. Um, but the... You know, we, we did an episode on procrastination um, early on mm. in our process, and like, and you know, it was really interesting. You, you find procrastination not just about negative things, but also about positive things as well. You know, and they did these great studies where they looked at attendance to an art gallery, and everyone came in the last week was the busiest mm. week. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And like, I think in my head, I guess coming from like treating mood disorders and trying to get people to be activated, I think about that there's a uninspired rut versus procrastination avoidance. Is that, is that, does that fit with you? Like, does that, does that seem valid to you? I think that that there, right there, Hunter, is like the finest line of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
when is when are you not doing the thing because it's avoidance or delay or self-sabotage versus when you're not doing the thing because the expectation of that has been too unrealistic or you need more thinking time you actually need more breathing room for the thing and and so i think that there's like everything it's it's also nuanced in this you know just so much so many beautiful threads that you could pull out with procrastination with busyness with comparison like everything kind of has that other side of the coin like with comparison I speak about how it can actually be a really enriching thing it can kind of show you what you want um and so with procrastination I think it can have that enriching side where you're you know the absorbing sponge and and we mislabel things when actually it's like I'm not procrastinating I'm thinking about the problem you know unconsciously um versus procrastination as a as avoidance and delay and I guess that I'm sure the two of you would speak to this much better, but this, uh, I guess it's the fear of it because it, when it's that, that sort of the things that we want to do in this life, but we almost fear doing them and maybe failing. Mm. And so I think it can be tied to perfectionism. And so we procrastinate because it means we can delay starting and ever finding out whether we're good at the thing or not. Mm. (laughs) Um, But we do need the only antidote I say to being afraid of the work is to to do the work. Mm. So I think this whole thing is really finding ways to help be curious about the fear and maybe instead of all these things that might set us up to fail, like needing the perfect routine in order to do the thing or getting overwhelmed by the list of things that we have to do or sort of trying to eliminate distractions or even planning, I think can be this perfect way to procrastinate. It feels like, you know, you're like, oh, that is, that is useful <laughs> time. And I'm not going to hear any bad. Yeah. Bad my, about that. my to-do list need to be color coded <laughs> and reorganized <laughs> regularly. Well, you know, that could be like, it's, it's a beautiful calming thing. <laughs> Why not? If it works for you, it's, I, I can, um, the amount of plans I've made and, you know, to not start. But um, yeah, yeah we, so I think it's just what small things can we do to help us get started? And sometimes that is like, well, I'll, I'll give myself the thinking time. I do need to, you know, the things that I've really procrastinated on, including the book itself. So that's an interesting <laughs> thing. It's like, you know, it took so long to actually do that because in many ways I needed to do more thinking. And so when I took it off the to-do list and put it to the side, that's when I was really able to, have the epiphany, you know, the space for the epiphany. Mm. So maybe that is how we sort of, if you're procrastinating on something and avoiding something, just take it off the table and see if that actually works or make the thing really, really small and doable. I think all these things we know, perhaps intellectually, but it's just in that moment of guilt or shame, it can be harder to remind ourselves. Yeah, and you can kind of just sort of get in a a state of like, I've got to be, you know, I've got to to do this thing, so I've got to think about it um, Mm. and... I think clinically we see that that people don't often realize that that's actually what they're doing, right? You know, and mm. so they never get a break from it and they're actually anxious about it. And mm. and by us kind of, we might do a relaxation exercise in session or you might kind of get them to talk all about what they're worried about and like they, they come back the next week and they go, oh, you know, I, I didn't think about, you know, that problem for a few days because it was just sort of settled and and that helped process things and settle things down a bit. And so, you know, I think if you're anxious all the time, you need to treat the anxiety and, you know, get a break and kind of relax and then mm. and then sort of the non-anxious part of your brain, which is a different system in the brain, can yep, operate. Can kick in. It reminds me of often if I have to write a, you know, a letter for a client that's quite sort of, personal or that's to them or I have to write something that's kind of 
meaningful for work it's it's going to have some sort of impact I often stress about it a fair bit and then I'll you know put it off to the next week or whatever and I'll end up writing it on bits of scrap paper in my car in the supermarket car mm. park because I've wandered around I've listened to a podcast whatever and then all of a sudden I know what I need to say and I haven't been actively thinking about it it's just happened yeah um, there's something to be said for that rest. That's certainly much more your process than mine, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, even when we're preparing the podcast, Hunter will ask me something and I'm like, I need to get back to you on that. It has to marinate. Yep, and I've learned yeah. to be tolerant of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, well, what do you both think about that? Like how to spot the difference between when it's avoidance and when it is that sort of more absorbing sponge procrastination? I think it's when it's uncomfortable. Like, so mm. there's a, look, I mean, I, I, like I lived with procrastination for a long time when I was doing my doctorate, it took me a long time to finish it. But I think, I think it's when it's uncomfortable. And I think you mentioned about something about like when the activity you're doing is ceaseless mm. versus where it's got an end state is often a good, like, I wouldn't say it's the only marker. Cause I think you can do activities that you can do the washing and, and kind of get involved in cleaning the house. And that's, does have an end state. But, um, oh. but I think that that's a good way. Like I think there's a um, where versus like a satisfaction, like an intrinsic satisfaction or something. I think is. I think for me, it's the it's the extent of effort I'm putting into this task that I didn't plan to do. <laughs> so, so a classic example is that like instead of doing my dishes, I'll clean out my entire fridge. Like I'll pull it out from the wall. I'll vacuum the back. I'll mm. like it's a big process I'll end up defrosting the freezer before I do the dish and it's kind of like well actually no that none of that needed to happen right now Mm. you've just spent a lot longer than if you just did the thing there's sort of a intensity to it that Mm. I don't have when I'm just mulling something over it's Mm. it's like an urgency to fill the space you get caught in it and I think (laughs) I mean and I think the thing and I think Madeline you were talking about before like you know that giving yourself permission to to have a break from something mm. like and and if if when you if you find that idea foreign or like or or difficult then you really need to be doing that yeah. you know it's 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 like when I used to work with drug and alcohol problems and people say oh I don't really have a you know problem with alcohol or whatever and you say all right well you know have a have an alcohol free day and if that's difficult then you've probably got a problem with it yeah. you know and so like I guess I sort of view things in a very experimental fashion. Mm, psychologists can be bastards, essentially. Just oh, like, we are you don't want to do that thing, that's what we're going to do. But like, or, or <laughs> if something's uncomfortable, then you probably need to be doing yeah. that. Um, I mean, and I liked, I, and, and on that, I wrote down that thing you said about the, to get over the fear of work is to do the work itself. Mm. And I learned a lot from an artist who she would just, turn up every day to the studio right and I just whereas I thought oh you know you've got to be in the mode to write or or create or whatever but it was just all about turning up Mm. and Mm. and sometimes it came and sometimes it didn't yeah I think you know one of the one of the aspects of the book that hit both of us and that blew our minds more than perhaps it should have was the idea that you don't have to have motivation before action that you can do something and then the motivation will come yeah i think we both yeah we both were just stunned by that both went what (laughs) but but also like yes no that's true yeah yeah Yeah. it feels true but it's not something that we've thought 
Yeah, I think it, it ties in nicely to what Hunter just said, though, with the, the just the just showing up or the you know being afraid of the work. You just need to start to have that. It's that momentum feeling, isn't it? Because it's hard to sort of feel motivated when you can see the the big overwhelming sort of tidal wave of it all. But then if you kind of get get going you know and you know that that feeling when you do do that you're like why was i putting this off in the first place it's fine you know (laughs) and i I, you sort of you get it done in sometimes even a shorter period of time than you thought and you just think uh what was all the fuss about and and then what's interesting you have this rush of shame about that and you go oh god you know if i'm such an idiot it was like we should just be going well we did it isn't that amazing that you did it that's really good like you got over the hump rather than kind of berating ourselves like even in success yeah we berate ourselves (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious when I had a look at your website about the section where you've done a whole bunch of experiments on life, things like, you know, meeting strangers or trying new routines or things like that to try and sort of test out different ways of of being in the world. My question is with this one isn't so much like a what changed your life kind of thing. Some of them seem like they'd be absolutely torturous. Which one was the worst to do? <laughs> I think it, it was when I had the, the, the most naivety as well was trying to do the 30-day habit yep. experiment. And that was where I did this accumulative habit experiment where I thought that I would each day add a new habit borrowed from someone that I interviewed and then add a new one each day. So by the time it was a, a month long of doing this, this experiment, I would have the perfect day because I would be have adopted all these habits. And it's, it was ridiculous because obviously the the ambition of it, of trying to, you know, perfectly stick to this incredible perfect day and, and uphold these habits in such a short period of time, I guess it was, it was trying to point to the ridiculousness to sort of change ourselves overnight, I suppose. So it was torturous. And I sort of, I guess it just affirmed that these things do take time. And I think trying to change ourselves, you know, overnight, like on January 1st with the New Year's resolution, often isn't what sticks. It's Mm. when we start to, you know, bit by bit, find the things that work for us. And um, that can be a really slow process and two steps forward and one step back or sideways. Mm. And I think that the, it's interesting looking back at that experiment now and I, I, it all tumbled over very quickly and I wasn't (laughs) able to stick to the, the habits like, but you know, the things that I, that do feel like habits in my life and I'm someone who still describes themselves as quite higgledy-piggledy I don't have a routine that I stick to I embrace the fact that maybe I maybe I will wait maybe I won't on any given sort of season of my life but the things that have stuck have st- stuck because there's been a true delight or desire or want to do the things mm. and, and what I think precedes motivation or you know sticking to a habit consistently is being delighted by it and so one example I speak to is with exercise, I made it really daunting because I made it about losing weight and, you know, all these kind of goals that are tied to a number and about how you look externally mm. rather than when I switched it and realized, oh, you feel really good when you go for a run. Like it, it, it makes you feel more energetic and it makes you feel, it makes you sleep better and it makes you have this like incredible, delightful endorphin rush. And so when it became about that delightful thing rather than the dreaded thing that I could easily sabotage, um, it's interesting now I look at my days and I, I do exercise consistently and mm. it's not sort of this thing that I need to keep putting on my to-do list or telling myself I need to do because I inherently want to and I, I'm delighted by it. So mm. I think that that's over time, I think we slowly you know build the kind of days that we want 
um, through experimenting and reframing things and mm. allowing things to change. Yeah, and and something any of my clients who've, who've heard me talk, I'll always say, oh, you know, it's about experiments. We learn more about the problem when we fail than mm. when we succeed. And mm. so scientists are experimenting. And, you know, if we, you know, psychologists are in the business of change, good change, bad change, change is where it's at. We want to, we want to see change and you know the only way to do that is to experiment whereas if you kind of go with like oh well i'm going to do this thing and this is the thing that's going to help me then and it fails then you stop which is i think you know mm. we've talked about throughout this um we've talked a lot about guilt so i thought we'd end on something a bit light i was talking to a listener of the pod over summer and she was she used to live in the uk and said and then she said that she would occasionally check the Daily Mail, yep. Daily Mail, and then and then she's kept up checking it up, even though it's sort of somewhat un- unreliable news source. <laughs> somewhat. So, um, uh, she's, I checked. I checked some of the headlines as, as a, in prep to the show. That was it was enlightening. <laughs> um, so I, like, I was curious to think about uh, maybe we go around the around the table. Um, who, what's your guilty pleasure at the moment? I think mine is. Uh, listening to Taylor Swift songs with my daughter. <laughs> Madeline, what's your uh, guilty pleasure at the moment? Oh, such a good question. Well, it's, it's yeah, it's funny because it's it's such an oxymoron, isn't it, with the, the guilt and the pleasure. It, can a pleasure ever be guilty? So it's hard for me to reframe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I'm going to have to say, oh, it's not guilty though. I'm really struggling. I've, I've done such a good job of... Um, you know, eliminating guilt. <laughs> Maybe it is still scrolling through Instagram for different quotations and things. So I think that the pleasure part of it is that, you know, I follow a lot of accounts on there that are poetry and quotes and writers. And so that's the wonderful pleasure of it. But the guilty part might be that I do scroll for an excessive amount of time. I, I did wonder with the, the number of quotes. I was like, oh, is this a form of, a, <laughs> form of procrastination? <laughs> I've been caught out. (laughs) (laughs) I think mine's still staying up way too late. I think there's something I really enjoy about the quiet of Mm. nighttime, particularly late at night. And as much as I'd love to say, oh, yeah, I know that I need to get to bed early or I'm always tired or whatever, the staying up late to watch an extra episode of something or to finish listening to a podcast or to just sit on my balcony and have a drink and think is actually so enjoyable that kind of makes up for the state of my brain the next morning. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Madeline, it has been absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for coming on Two Shrinks Pod. If people are interested about you and the work that you do, where can they, uh, where can they find you and what would they be looking for? They can uh, find lots of quotations on Instagram, <laughs> extraordinary underscore routine, or head to extraordinaryroutines.com for an archive of interviews and experiments and things. And you can also sign up to a newsletter there that I do very ad hocly, but then you can sort of find some different musings in what I'm working on of late. But it's just been such a treat to speak with you both and and have your brains sort of to bounce off with all of the 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 formal psychology of it all so thank you both oh thank you we've absolutely loved it and please listeners go out and buy madeline's book i didn't do the thing today thank you so much for talking to us today madeline thank you